Thank you for uh, coming back for another episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Um, this week, I have a a good friend of mine from uh, here in the Houston area, uh, Michael Farnham, joining me. So, uh, Michael, tell the world about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Um, hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening. Like Tony said, uh, my name is Michael Farnham. I am an uh, you know, for lack of a better term, information security or cybersecurity professional uh, in Houston, Texas. Um, been in the industry, I don't know, since 1994 in IT in general and uh, 99 security pretty much full time. Been doing this a while, seen a lot of stuff. Um, old army guy, um, was a tank driver, uh, also run uh, Houston, Houston Security Conference, HoustonCon here in Houston, the annual conference, and I work for Set Solutions, which is a uh, cybersecurity reseller and integrator here in Houston, and I run uh, the pre-sales architect team in the South Texas area. Um, I mean, that's a pretty good wrap-up. Anything else you want to know? There? No, I mean that's uh, that's that, that's impressive enough. Uh, you know, and I think you know you and I have similar uh i think similar timelines you know in that you know i i was in the air force about the same time you were in the army i got into it about the same time you got into it you know i got into security not long after you i think where things diverge is um you know after i moved to texas and uh was doing security consulting for btins for a year and a half or so and then they downsized me out of that position um that was when I just went full-time writing because I was already doing like all of this like freelancing stuff on the side and I just went, I, I just switched gears and went to the, the, the journalism and, and kind of content marketing side of things and, and have kind of stayed there ever since. So, um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I think we have sort of parallel, parallelish timelines. Um, yeah, I want to, I, I want to start by talking about the, the the fun story about how so so I, I'll tell it and then you can you can come in with your version. Um, Mike Michael and I Michael and I are you know we knew each other uh, we knew each other from you know going to the R, going to RSA and going to the security bloggers meetups and you know just being kind of in the same circles and so we knew of each other we had met uh, and but then even though he lives. You know, I don't know, probably ten miles from me, ish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we never see each other in Houston. Uh, and then one year, like five, six years ago, I'm flying to RSA and sitting on the plane, and I'm in the middle seat, and I'm 
get out my laptop to work on some stuff, uh, you know, get some writing done. And this, uh, this asshole next to me is looking over my shoulder to see what I'm typing. <laughs> and he sees that, and, and he sees that, that I'm, 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 I'm logging in and doing this writing as Tony Bradley. And he like tur actually turns and looks and says, Oh, Hey shit, it's Tony. And so, yeah, that was Michael. He was sitting next to me. We, we were sitting next, we were sitting on a plane right next to each other for probably an hour and a half to two hours before, you know, realizing that we were next to each other and knew each other. And, and, you know, and to Michael's credit, I probably never would have come out of my like bubble of oblivion to figure out that you were sitting next to me. So, uh, you know, Hey, you know, kudos to you for, for, you know, spying over my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was only cause you know, this, this asshole next to me didn't have a screen uh, protector on his uh, laptop. And so anybody <laughs> could see what he was doing. So, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely a good story. That's hilarious. I remember that quite clearly. That's funny. Yeah, and then uh, and then a, a few years back, uh, you know, when I was on the job market, uh, a, a, an opportunity came up at Alert Logic, and it had turned out that uh, you know you you had just joined Alert Logic a few months before that. So there was a brief period of time of what six months where we were coworkers. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, terribly long, but it, yeah, it definitely. Our coworkers at our desks were right next to each other, uh, and both floors that we were on. So yeah, we did a lot of work together. Yeah, so I don't want to. I'm not, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but okay. but 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 I recall, you know, how, how how fun it was when we were, you know, on on the eighth floor, and certain people had conference calls like constantly. And oh, had no, and had no filter or awareness of the fact that there are ten other cubicles around of people trying to get work done, and just talking so damn loud. <laughs> that individual was extremely loud. Yes. And that and and again, that. still still not naming names, but I actually still have that situation to some extent, where where my desk is now at Alert Logic. Um. You know, because I, you know, I try to I try to go into the office, uh, you know, a few days a week, uh, and you know, but there there is there's a person who sits near me, and she's just doing her job. I mean, I don't fault her for it, but she's constantly on conference calls and she's loud, and I'm like, it gets in the way of me doing my job. So there's, there's some days where I'm like, you know what, I'm staying home where I can get work done. Yeah, the open cubicle concept and all that for for worker bees that are. You know, typing and doing data entry and kind of that kind of stuff is fine. But yeah, when you have people that are constantly having to do product management and things like that, it, it gets, it's just not conducive uh, to that. And I mean, it's not fair to them either. It's not fair to everybody around them, but it's definitely not fair to them. But, you know. Right. Well, it's like what, <laughs> when the, the last time I flew, um, my, my son and I flew to Washington, D.C. Uh, earlier in uh, last month in June. Um, for this National Geographic event, and while we were waiting for our plane, and it might have been the same woman both times, but while we were waiting for our plane, sitting at the terminal, sitting at the gate, there was a woman who was having a, ca a call. You know, she was engaged in a phone call, but on speakerphone, like just sitting in the middle of you know a hundred people, you know, on, on speakerphone. And then when I don't remember if it was on the way there or on the way back, but you know, like you know, like the plane as soon as as soon as the wheels touch down, 
I flip the switch back on and put, you know, take it out of airplane mode and, and turn my phone back on. And there was a woman who did that and then immediately proceeded to like call somebody on speakerphone. Like while we were still taxiing to the gate, and I'm like, nobody wants to listen to your conversation. Why are you on speakerphone? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. I've never, at least a lot of people want their own speakerphone. I mean, just out in public and it's never made sense unless they're, um, was their speakers broken or something that's on their ear, but I, I don't understand it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk, let's talk, uh, cybersecurity. So let's, let's start off with, uh, you know, kind of what you're doing at set solutions. Um, um, you know, before we get on, you, you, you talked about, uh, uh, industrial control systems, which I think is a, you know, I, I think hot might be a little hyperbolic, but it is a, it is a topic that, should have more focus and it's a, i think it's been getting increasing focus but it's one of those things that like it's it's not the sexiest thing but in terms of like what the potential impact is of ics being compromised the that that it's a big deal and so it you know it may not be sexy but it's important yeah I, it, it it's yeah it's not sexy uh, at all um, but I agree 100%. Definitely, definitely important. It, it, I don't think it's completely hyperbolic to say that it's hot because we're seeing, um, a lot of activity uh, with our customers. Uh, and, and in Houston, it kind of makes sense, right? Oil and yeah. gas, ton, ton of it here. Um, but it, it goes beyond that. It goes to energy providers. It goes to, uh, anybody with manufacturing space or any kind of, any kind of area like that that um, has those type of um, those type of ICS system, OT systems in there where you have to have a controller network that's uh, making sure everything's moving along and the, the floor is moving um, product through whatever, you know, whether that's chemical or hard products or whatever. Um, that that right now is um, really getting focused uh, because, and well, for a few reasons. One, there's just been things happening out there in the wild that people are starting to figure it out. Um, there's quite a few more, um, I guess, startups that are getting into the space. Uh, a few, very few of them are real, real mature, but they're starting to do a whole lot of network monitoring in that space where they're trying to see what's going on in that network and giving you visibility into that network beyond just what the, um, like the, uh, historian, you know, the data collectors, the data historians and stuff like that, that are for the ICS network itself. So they're really trying to get some insight into what's going on on the, uh, the workstations that the controllers are using that kind of stuff. So it's, it, it's really picking up. Um, pretty heavy for us. We've got a couple of customers um, that are coming to us for those types of services. It's not traditionally something we've played in, even though we've got a lot of oil and gas customers. Uh, it's always been traditionally on the IT cybersecurity side. So now what we're finding in some of these, um, some of our customers is that they're picking up people from the cybersecurity side and making them responsible for the cybersecurity on the OT side. And that they've got a lot of people with kind of deer in the headlight looks, you know, they don't know, they don't know anything about OT and they're having to translate their, all their years of training in cybersecurity and IT cybersecurity 
that, you know, the traditional no stance and the traditional uh, CIA confidentiality and integrity come before availability type of thing or balance it as much as you can. But um, now they're looking at the OT space where availability rules all and you have to come at it from a different angle. Um, so it, it, it's just, and you're dealing with people on the OT side who aren't traditional cybersecurity if they were already in that. Right. And they're to like now learn those concepts and then help translate. So it's the, the bridge is difficult or the gap is difficult to bridge in a lot of ways. And what we're trying to do um, through a partnership with um, a company called ThreatGen that's based out of here in uh, Houston, we've uh, created a, a virtual ICS practice for us, but for all intents and purposes, we've, uh, we've got an ICS practice and we, partner with ThreatGen for that. ThreatGen is um, led by a guy named Clint Bodungeon, who wrote the uh, ICS Hacking Exposed book. And um, he's got just years and years and years of experience in this. And he is an expert at bridging those gaps because he knows cybersecurity, IT, and OT. Um, so it, it's really exciting for us. Um, it, it's an area that people are finally starting to realize that they've got to do something about the the problems, as you said, that come from it. I mean, everybody likes to to say, you know, lives can be lost in this um, much more easily because, you know, you're talking about chemicals and you're talking about plants. I mean, anybody that lives here in Houston and knows the area, can you can go down to Texas City and Pasadena and you got a neighborhood that's right across the street from a, a big refinery. Um, it... it it looks scary and it definitely is scary. Um, what I find out, what I've found out as I've started to learn about this more and more and more is that there is already a ton of safety uh, mechanism, mechanisms built into, uh, into OT networks and in, you know, like things like pressure relief valves and all of this stuff that's there if the cyber side fails. So right. they already have a, they have this mindset of safety and that translates pretty well into the security side of things it's just how do you bring those two together having talked in the same language and making sure nobody's you know mad at the other one because they're putting requirements on that weren't there before and right. yada 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 well and, ho- and, and and hopefully things are you know better or different than they were um like early in my security career i was uh i was at eds um, and actually this kind of actually predates my security career. This is when I was just doing network admin stuff. So I was doing Microsoft cluster servers, but I was at EDS and I was working on the General Motors account and I would fly around all these General Motors plants and, and implement these cluster server, you know, I would implement Microsoft Windows cluster server environments to manage this application that we had written to control the, the PLCs and the, and the production line and the, and the plants. And that was all fine and dandy, but what we found, and, and then eventually I went in, I did get into the security side and General Motors was still my primary client. But what I found most of the time is, you know, General Motors corporate would issue, you know, could issue guidelines and say, hey, this, you know, this is what we're going to do in terms of security, or this is what we're going to do for, you know, whatever password complexity, or this is what we're going to, you know, we're going to use this software. But when push came to shove, the manufacturing plants are 
autonomous. They're many fiefdoms. And the manager of the plant has jurisdiction. You know, the, the manager of the plant has the authority to basically say, I am going to not do what corporate told me to do because the most important thing is pumping out cars. And so it kind of goes back to what you were saying about how availability rules all. You know, it's like that 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 mindset of, yeah, that's great if we can get some confidentiality and some integrity. But when push comes to shove, if you get in if you get in my way, I'm going to circumvent it all because I mainly care about pumping out product. Yeah, and and, and it's it's very similar to that now. I mean, it's it's almost the you know the captain of the ship is the ultimate authority when they're on the ship. Um, I, I think some of that is starting to change. Um, it, it's not that availability is not the primary because it still is because you're right. I mean, that, that's the line of business for them. It's no different than, you know, us trying to take a web application down because it's got a security vulnerability and it's, you know, but that thing's responsible for $5 million an hour of business. You just don't just take the thing down. You have to do other stuff to, to fit those. So yeah, it, it, I think it's more around making sure, and this is maturing, making sure that, when you're looking at that environment to find out whether or not it has a security issue, you're doing it in a way that doesn't interrupt operations. Right. And if anybody knows when you're going in and doing a pen test in a regular IT environment, typically you're not going to take something down. There you've got something that's uh, old, old devices that may not have been upgraded for a long time or have no way of being upgraded. It's all about compensating controls and making sure you're not taking those things down. So you have to do things in a much more uh, passive way. And, and it takes time to get them, um, get those environments set up in a way that they've got, you know, security zones like we would think of traditionally in a, in an IT network, DMZs and different zones and where nothing can cross them. Right. You know, don't do another that's not supposed to. I mean, all of that stuff. Uh, comes into play and those guys out there that are on the ground um, that know that something can go awry uh, they definitely have a lot of that authority but as as people start seeing that this is really a um, a direction that attackers are going after because there's a lot of value to it they're right. you know of course it's been from the top down it's having to start changing their minds on that kind of stuff well, I want to give, uh, first of all, I want to, to sort of caveat, and, and, and I know it's dating myself, but when I was working on this stuff and working with General Motors was, you know, 15 to 20 years ago. So that's not a commentary on how General Motors is working today. Don't know if it's the same or different. Um, but, uh, you know, actually on the podcast, the, the, the last episode of this podcast uh, was, uh, uh, my guest was Alan Schimmel, who we both know. And one of the things we talked about was that... You know, I'd say in the last 10 years and definitely in the last five, there has been more coming to the middle where I feel like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was more contentious. You know, there's the people who are trying to get stuff done. And then there's the security who were sort of the, the, the police who were in the, who were coming in to like stop you from getting things done or to make it as difficult as possible for you to get things done. Um, and I think over over time, and it, like I said, in recent years, I think the the, the developers and the operations side, you know, obviously Alan, Alan and I were talking about DevOps. Uh, so the developers and the operations side 
you know, they've come to the middle in terms of understanding and appreciating the value of security and the value of integrating security, you know, earlier and at a, at a, at a more foundational stage rather than like duct tape and chewing gum on, you know, tacking it on after the fact. And on the security side, I feel like security professionals over time have come more to the middle to understand that it can't just be about, you know, I've got these draconian rules that I'm going to enforce. It has to be, okay, you know, this is the the goal. This is the objective. This is what I would like to accomplish. But how do I do that while facilitating business, you know, without getting in the way of business? How do we work together toward a common goal to 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 do business securely? Yeah, I, I, I think the parallel is, is very striking, actually, because, I mean, it's, it, it, as the more I learn about this and the more I uh, take training and talk to other people about it, that very thing that you're saying is, it comes out every time. It, it, I was in a week long training last week about all about doing uh, threat hunting and pen testing vulnerability assessments in an ICS network. And um, the, the training was great, but about probably half of the concepts I was already extremely aware of on the the pen testing and threat hunting and vulnerability assessment side because I've, I've done that stuff. I've been exposed to it over years. Um, I've been in all as a customer and as a provider on all of that. And so I knew a lot of that stuff very well. And it kept striking me, even though there are definitely distinct differences between what you should do in an OT network versus an IT network. The, those were distinctions that were specifically because of different technologies, but the concepts, we're all still there. You know, how, how do you approach this? Um, how do you do threat hunting? How do you sniff packets? How do you look at that on Wireshark or whatever your favorite tool is to determine, you know, what, what's going on in it? How do you look at protocols? How do you look at the packet to make sure what the data payload is and all that good stuff? I mean, all those concepts, um, from the top down, from administrative to very deep technical work were very, very similar. Um, and, and it's, like you're saying, now we're getting to this point, hopefully, more and more, um, that we're starting to see people talk to each other across the board. And the same thing is on the application side that is on the OT side. The OT side, you know, they're all about getting this stuff done and availability, and they just need to make it work and get products pushed out. And you're coming in and changing how they do things that they're going to perceive that as getting in the way, and developers are the same way. My job is to get code out and make this thing functional and make sure it performs well, not worry about security vulnerabilities. And you're coming in and getting in the way, and all of a sudden I'm not able to meet my deadlines. I'm not able to get my code out. Right. It's a very, very similar situation. Um, and the common element is security. So it you know, behooves us to make sure we're working with them and creating ways of easing that burden and um, I mean, I could talk all day about the AppSec side too, about the development, but it's, it's all about, you know, getting into their, um, into their pipeline and their tool chain and, and making sure those integrations happen and make sure it's so easing that burden in the same way on the OT side, making sure you do this without interrupting those and making sure it's easy for them. So. Right. Um, one of the other things you, you, you sort of briefly touched on was, you know, this, the, the concept that, uh, you, you sometimes hear about when it comes to oil and gas and water treatment plants and other stuff is, you know, uh, you know, lives are on the line and, you know, we can, you know, we can, you know, 
shut down power grids and, and everything else. And it, it's weird, weird, weird might not be the right word, but I'll, I'll just stick with it. It's weird to me because while that's true to an extent, I mean, it is true. It's theoretically possible. Um, I almost feel like that, that sort of talk does does security for ICS a, a little bit of a disservice, and and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna expand that not just not just ICS but uh, industrial IoT as well. You know, like when when you talk about the sort of James Bond villain doomsday scenario, or you know, you know whatever, you know, some some nation state you know taking out entire you know power grids or poisoning the water supply. Uh, I think that. To some people, that makes it seem less real, or you know, like like you're just you're you're just you know you're just running around saying the sky is falling, and that's not that's not a legitimate concern, and 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 to an extent, I think that's actually semi true because, like I said, theoretically it's possible. And it's like, is it likely? It's not necessarily likely in a lot of cases, and there are a lot, but there are a lot of other scenarios that I think are still damaging and as like and and from a from a company perspective from the, the 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 client perspective uh you know it can have millions of dollars of impact without without killing people i mean so it's still very important um you know so i, I so that, that those are my thoughts i'm curious what you what you think about that like whether whether it helps or hurts to talk about ics from the standpoint of what's the like doomsday catastrophe scenario yeah, I mean, this, this is the same argument that we've had for a long time with the, you know, FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Let's, let's go cast a, a shadow, a pall over everything and, you know, make sure they know that, hey, you know, really, really, really bad things can happen if you don't do something about this and, and make them nervous. And that way you can sell your product or your services. Um, I, I've always been against that with, with a small caveat, um, when I was a IT security manager, I didn't necessarily use FUD. I used uh, HIPAA compliance uh, to get <laughs> get what I needed, but I was doing it on the side where I needed to secure the network. So beyond that, yeah, I've always been against that. Um, and and that to my point earlier, um, it when you when you go into an environment and you try to talk to somebody on the OT side of things, who's experienced, who's been working in those plants, they know all of the safety mechanisms and everything that's there. And you come in and say, hey, you know, if you don't add this extra layer of protection on, then everything's going to blow up. I mean, they're going to tell you to pound sand because it, it, they don't need you coming in, one thing, telling them that their baby's ugly. And two, they don't not they don't know all of the stuff around uh, cybersecurity, and a lot of times they don't know all of the new devices that are getting stuck in their network. Yeah. So they don't know of those things, and it does look like a doomsday scenario type of thing. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily James Bond level, but I get. Well, what you know, there, but there's there's a psychological aspect. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I think even if you're talking about, uh, you know, just everyday you know, political discussions or climate change or whatever. It's like, you know, when you, when you, when you map out the whole thing, there are like potential, potentially catastrophic and, you know, outcomes. Um, but I almost feel like 
to, to even even to people who are open to what you have to say, that when you go there, some people tune out. It's sort of like that's too much for me to handle. If you tell me if you tell me how I can solve this small problem in my small part of the world, I'm on board with you. But if you tell me that like you know the whole world is going to end, I don't even know what the fuck to do with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you. It, 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 we had a customer meeting today, and it was all about he didn't know what to do because he was an IT cybersecurity guy getting transplanted into OT. So he, he again, he had the whole deer in the headlights look. He didn't know what to do, and he really, really, really needed help. If I, uh, and that's great. We, you know, we're giving him laying out plans, going here. Let's look at these different sites, and let's figure out what we can cookie cutter and so on and so forth. So that gave him a lot of, uh, you know, a whole bunch of warm fuzzies, right? Because he, he knew he had a um, somebody that was helping him, he had an ally, somebody who could answer questions. But if a traditional, if he didn't have that, and then a traditional sales guy came in from uh, some company to do cybersecurity and just laid this stuff out, that guy wouldn't know if they were wrong or right because he's right. he still to the, to the arena. But he, I can guarantee you, he's, he'd probably just turn around and, Turning his resignation or something, and he'd be like, "What? Well, this. this is too much for me to to deal with." So it, it right. yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. That's that's not the way to go about it. You can have regular conversations and just talk about this stuff, and you know, give them give them some scenarios as to you know how you can help, and and let them make their choices without you know, saying the world's going to blow up. Right. Well, and if you're trying to, you know, if you're going in and you're talking to a a, a a prospect and you're trying to sell them on, okay, you know, why why should you hire me to help you with your ICS security? Uh, I think I think yeah, and you can correct me if I'm wrong since you do it and I don't. Um, it seems to me I would have a better chance of making that sale of of getting that commitment from that vendor if I present to them realistic scenarios that could happen on a daily basis as opposed to the like doomsday FUD scenario, which, you know, might be very scary. It might work on some people, but it's also, like I said, real easy to just kind of go shrug your shoulders and go, I don't even know what to do about that. So I'm cool. No. Yeah, it definitely. It, it, and it, I don't even, I mean, most people, when they look at this, when they if they've studied it for more than five minutes, they know that there could be some catastrophic results. If some if somebody if some kind of nation state attacker, somebody who's very well funded or or hell just got lucky, um, was able to to break through because they didn't have their environment um, zoned out well and they had you know all the different like controllers sitting on the same environment as the historian and as a data historian is sitting on the same environment as workstation as the, you know, director active directory um, server and all that. I mean, you know, they, they can think through that and go, Hey, look, if somebody can bust the flaw, bust into a flaw on this windows box that I've got sitting here for my active directory and use that to directly get access to PCL and start making it do all kinds of weird things, or PLC, and start doing all kinds of weird things, then, then yeah, they, they, it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out that that's, that's bad mojo, right? Um, so you don't have to give them that most of the time. That would be somebody who's extremely fresh, who just, just walked in the door and got told that they're, they're going to be doing OT security. Right. It, it's, 
it's not hard to figure out. So there's really no reason to break into those type of things where where I'm I think the really bad thing to happen bad thing to do is to try to go in and this this is the whole not knowing your audience, right? Going into somebody who knows OT OT very well and knows all the safety and security that's built in, or at least safety that's built in to stop those catastrophic things from happening, even though they still do happen, but it could be a lot more. I mean, we've had our share here of benzene getting chunked in the air, but it, um, they know that there's a lot built around that to stop it from happening. So if you go in there and try to sell that FUD, and these, you know, these are good old boys from, you know, that are rednecks and stuff like that, they're, they're probably going to, you know, put you in the bed of the truck and take you out to the country and get rid of you. They're just not going to, they're not going to talk to you. Um, so, uh, if you can correct me again if I'm wrong, um, but do you, as you're doing ICS, is there bleed over into IIoT? Like, do, do you, or, or is that part of the conversation? Because it seems to me, you know, like ICS was one thing. Like when I was working with General Motors, that was just ICS. I mean, you know, they've got their PLCs and, and, and that's that. Um, but, you know, it's 20 years later, 15 years later, whatever. And, you know, now everything is IoT and, and, and everyone's trying to connect these things. And it makes great sense from a, from a, like a operational efficiency and a fiscal uh, perspective to say, you know, I don't want to have to send people out to all of these different sites to, to, you know, just to be able to monitor uh, activity and, 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 you know, Keep keep tabs on what's going on. If I can just have those things connected to something that communicates back centrally, so that I can you know monitor and control things, that's great. However, as we both know, once you do that, once you connect that, you know, once you give it an IP address and you connect it to the internet, it's exposed. It's vulnerable on some level. And when we're talking about ICS and you know when you're, when you're talking about uh, you know PLCs and stuff, they're not the most flexible when it comes to, uh, you know, you, you, you can't install an agent or install some, you know, end, endpoint security software and, and, and a lot of that stuff isn't, you know, you can't even patch or update it. It just is. Uh, and so then you have to like, you know, you have to build your layer of security like above it, like an umbrella. Um, yeah. so, so anyway, so, uh, you know, now I've gone way off into the weeds. So is that part of what you, is that part of your conversation or is IOT like out of your scope? No, it's absolutely part of the conversation because IIoT, the industrial internet of things, is um, is very much involved in those, especially as newer organizations or newer companies get into any kind of energy. Um, if, if you've got, are they putting new new sites online or even in the um, in manufacturing? It's big because you're wanting to control that, and all of a sudden you're wanting, like you're saying, wanting to control it from afar, but all of a sudden you've got some device out there with um, with Bluetooth access on it, or you know, or, or wireless access, and it, it crosses all the barriers that you've hopefully tried to set up using Purdue Modeler. Um, the, the security is a I can't remember the um, standard name right now, but it's IAC something. But um, that that security that secure model that you put in place to get all that stuff in its right zone and make sure it's not talking to cell phones, yada, yada, yada. And then you just have somebody go chunk in a, a device right in the middle of it. And it's 
it goes up and just starts passing, bypassing all of that stuff and, and credentials are easy to steal from it or whatever. It, it gets, it, it's definitely a part of what we talk about um, because they need to be able to control that. I mean, the customer we were talking to today specifically was just like, look, you know, I thought I had all this on this one site all settled and we were going to kind of cookie cutter this. And then I start talking to them and I find out they put in nine new devices in this network and all of them can connect wirelessly and they can go walk by them with Bluetooth and, and control them without having to plug into them and all of this stuff. And he's like, I have no clue what the heck to do about all these things. Um, so it, it, it comes up constantly. Um, it's, it's something that's making our life even more complicated, just like IOT is doing for general security stuff. So right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's where like, yeah, like, you know, we as security professionals uh, have talked about and focused on asset inventory forever. Um, and I feel like that's that's kind of exploded recently. I, I just had Jeremiah Grossman on uh, a, a few episodes ago, um, you know, talking about, you know, how crucial it is for an, organi an, an organization, especially when you start looking at BYOD and IoT and cloud and containers and, and stuff. It's like, you know, to be able to accurately monitor and, and be aware of what that inventory is, you know, minute to minute. Um, and, you know, and so like I say, a situation like that, 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 that's important too, you know, because it, it, you can, you can go in there and you can set up, you know, the, the best ICS, the best IIoT security in the world. But if someone comes along and throws another device on there that you're not aware of, that's outside of your protection, then all bets are off. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's asset management is, is a cornerstone of any kind of IT security program, but at the same time, even outside of OT, I mean, I think OT is probably not as bad as like you were saying with containers and cloud and everything else, things that are, it's, it's so, so difficult uh, to keep up with all those different assets. I and mean, then you dig even deeper with, you know, I mean, it's a whole nother podcast, but dig even deeper with, uh, looking at open source uh, stuff that's in your applications and you know, and all the different. I mean, it, it's just it's a massive problem that it's it's not getting better. I mean, I remember back in the days when I first put uh, VMware in when I was a network and security manager. It, it was even at a small company where I was. I mean, you know, about 500 people. We were. I mean, I all of a sudden had just massive server sprawl because I didn't have to go order a server from Dell and make sure I got all the parts and, you know, wait a week for them to come in and do all this stuff. I could just spin one up using my golden image and throw yeah. a license on it good to go. So things have gotten just so much worse since then and so much easier to spin up shadow IT, everything else. So right. yeah, when the open it, it definitely makes it more difficult to, all right. Well, all right. So you're 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 out there, you know, solving uh, solving the world's problems with uh, ICS security. Uh, and, and you know, meanwhile, on the side, you're going on what year eleven of the Houston Security Conference? Uh, yeah. If you count, if you start on zero, if you do Unix counting or whatever, um, yeah, it would be. We started in 2010, so this would be. It wouldn't be eleven. It would be. 10 or no no 
I thought the last one yeah. was the 10th. It was, it was, yes. So it would be 11th. So this was, the last one was the 10th. It was version nine because we had a, I don't know if you were there for this one. We had a version 6.5 um, when we were moving times of the year from October to uh, from the fall to the spring. Ah, because so you had like a six a month gap one. Yeah, so we had we did one for about in about six months, and then we waited all the way through, um, and then did one. So if we would have followed the traditional one, this would be uh, it would. It, I think it would be 10, but the way we did things, we did like an 11. So this will be 11, even though it's going to be V10. Okay. Um, so that, so that'll be next spring. Uh, I, I, I assume, uh, and you know, I, I have, I have posted it, but for anyone who doesn't know, Michael had invited me to, uh, present at the last Houston security conference. And so I did a thing on, uh, you know, cybersecurity, uh, buzzwords, uh, and, and, uh, you know, some of the, the hype around that and you know and i think i also talked about uh you know just kind of how, how it's interesting to me how you know it's a small world cyber security is a small world the number of companies that you can go to is relatively limited like if you if you leave one company and go to another they're almost bound to be a competitor and so for you know for someone who's in marketing it's interesting because you know one day one day you're talking about you know, I'll use myself. One day I'm talking about why Tenable is the greatest thing under the sun, and then the next week I'm like, "Nah, you know what? To hell with Tenable. Let me tell you why Alert Logic is the greatest thing under the sun." Exactly. Yeah, it happens in our world. It, that's why I like my side of things. Um, going back quickly to my professional life, um, I like my side of the world there because I can. Uh, well, I guess it translates into the conference thing too. I can talk to many. Of them, so uh, yeah, I've done the vendor side of things a couple of times, and um, it, it's fine. But I I like being able to be honest, and then sometimes you can't be I'm not saying you lie. You just maybe not tell the whole truth. Well, go watch yeah. my presentation, Michael. <laughs> well, because one of the one of the one of the premises uh, that I went on was was I'm like, look, you know, it's not lying. Like I, you know. I, 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 you know, my day job is with Alert Logic. I work for Alert Logic, and therefore, yes, I'm going to go out of my way to tell you why Alert Logic is is good, and I'm going to focus on our strengths. I'm going to focus on what makes Alert Logic better. I'm going to focus on what Alert Logic does that other companies don't do as well, and I'm just not going to talk about the things that we're weak in. And so that's not lying per se. And if I and, and if and if tomorrow I went to you know work for you know Qualys or you know uh, the, the company formerly known as Alien Vault, um, <laughs> then you know my story would change. And you know and it's like it, I, it's not it's not lying. And I don't even, I don't even think it's it's I don't even think it's fair to call it disingenuous. I mean I I know that there's a perception of marketing as you know that marketing can be sort of a a snake oil sort of thing, but it's like, it's, it's like, no, my, my job is to promote the strengths of my company and its products while downplaying or ignoring the weaknesses. That's my job. Yeah. I, I agree with that 100% and, and did it a lot. It, it, if you're, and you're on the marketing side, which I've been on twice uh, myself, 
I know it's not the level of experience you've been on, but I've, I've done it twice and been on the technical marketing side both times. And that was what I did, right? I, I, I focused on um, either it was with a product and one was with a, a reseller slash integrator as well. And both times, it's, let's highlight the smart people. Let's highlight the cool functionality we have. Um, let's talk about the differences. I don't consider that lying. I don't con- even consider that disingenuous. It's when you get out of the marketing side of things yeah. um, where you have to start uh, selling somebody on something uh, which marketing is not, you know, as customer facing from a, you know, face to face perspective. And you start having to right. compare that and are when you do analyst relations, like I talked to you about when I was, yeah. when I've done analyst relations before, you get a little like, uh, let's, let's, uh, how are we going to qualify for this particular magic quadrant or this right. wave? And what do you have to say to get into that? Sometimes feels a little dirty, but it's the truth. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I would, you know, I can, I can step back from that a little bit uh, and kind of even, you know, uh, disagree with myself some. I mean, uh, you know, it may work fine for uh, cybersecurity marketing, but I can tell you for a fact that that logic would not work in my marriage. The, well, no, I just focused on the good stuff. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you about the bad stuff. Like, no, that's a lie of omission. It is a lie. <laughs> and you know, it's like, that's not going to work in your personal life. So don't, 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 don't try that. Um, and, and I also think that if you're on the sales side, um, I'm, I, I'm a fan. I mean, I've been on, I've, I've done sales, not cybersecurity sales, but I've done sales. Um, you know, certainly you talk about your strengths, but I think you should also talk about your weaknesses. Like you have to be honest about it. You have to be able, you have to build, you know, it's like, because you might be able to, you know, sort of con someone into the sale short term, but if you're not completely honest about what the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of your product are, uh, the odds of keeping them long term are, are smaller. So I think it's better to go into the vendor and say, look, here's where we're strong. You know, here, here's, here's where we, we, there's some room for improvement, but, you know, make sure that the customer knows what they're getting from the, from the get go. And I don't disagree with that either, but what I will say when you, when you get down into the weeds of vendor sales versus um, sales for uh, like with a reseller, um, Typically, what you see is a salesperson stay longer at a reseller slash integrator that can sell multiple different products and can sell services versus a salesperson who goes um, with the vendor salesperson who does that as a career. It's not necessarily a knock against them. They just tend to move more because you see these cycles within these different uh, vendors and especially with somebody who likes to play in the startup game, they'll, you'll see these cycles of hot and cold of whether a vendor's doing well or not. So they'll, and if they're a good salesperson, they'll get offers all the time and there's somewhere else. And it's just to what you said earlier, you know, you if know, you go from one. That's sort of interesting. And I, I realize we've gotten way off from Houston security conference, so we will come back to that. But, um, but, it's interesting to me because you know, like I, I I don't even remember his name, so I can't name names. But I remember when when I was at Tenable, uh, you know, whoever was the the guy they brought in to head up sales, you know, they brought him in because he was some you know 
a hotshot who had had success at some other company in sales. And that's what you do. And I feel like when you're, when you're sort of trading in the salesperson market and you're trying to hire people, that oftentimes what you're actually hiring is their contact list. You know, they've already established relationships with companies. I mean, and, and, and I mean, so, you know, you're also hiring someone who has the skills to sell a brand new prospect. But, you know, to, to some extent, you're hiring someone who like already has an established track record of customers that trust him or her. And uh, and it just occurs to me, like if I'm the customer, that, seem, that, that can also, also seem a little bit disingenuous. Like if you come to me and you're like, Hey, let me tell you why, you know, alert logic is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I like you and we have a, a solid relationship. And I say, okay, you know what, Michael, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to, you know, I, I believe you. I'm going to go with alert logic. And then next year, you know, Qualys hires you away and you come back to me and you say, Hey, let me tell you why you should dump alert logic at Qualys. And I go, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you, but now I'm going to listen to you with like a grain of salt. <laughs> because because you're the guy who just sold me on the other thing. Especially if you go to something that's right within your previous wheelhouse. I right. mean that can that can get freaky real quick. And that's a lot of times you don't see that though because they've got non competes and stuff. So it, it it really depends on the person and on the. I mean I, I know salespeople who have been to like our current VP of sales uh, at the solutions. He was a vendor sales guy for a long time. And uh, he's been to, he's been to several different vendors, but the vendors that he went to were, uh, were really good vendors. I mean, and, and in, in the time that he was there, they were extremely hot and had really good offerings. So it wasn't just, you know, play a game of hitting the next one and the next one, and the next one. So he fostered a relationship and did very well with that. There, I know a few salespeople, again, not naming names, that can jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and do enough to eat food on the table and, you know, make a little money and be able to go hunting and fishing and do whatever they're going to do. And I, you know, they're friends, but I would never buy anything from them. So, and I'm probably going to make some people mad because they're going to look at themselves and think I'm talking about them. And, you know, I'm sorry if you do because you know you better than I know you. Um, but it's, it, it's just one of those things where, and you're right. People look at them and go, look, you just told me that. Why am I going to believe you over here? So, right. it's, well, it's a weird word for sales, man. Yeah. To, to, to anyone who, who might be listening who thinks Michael is talking about them, uh, he, he's probably not. That's called the asshole test. Like, <laughs> if, if, you, if, if you're the guy who has enough self-awareness and conscience to think, Hmm, is he talking about me? Then the answer is no. The one he's actually talking about is so oblivious that he doesn't that he automatically dismisses it and thinks you're not talking about him. Thank you very much for adding that. That's perfect. <laughs> All right, so have... let's get back to Houston Security Conference. Talk, talk to me about that. What, why, why did you start it? How did you start it? You know what? You know, I mean, you got, you guys have had tremendous uh, growth and success. I mean, if, you know, for especially for a regional, you know, a, you know, a smaller regional conference. But I mean, to be going on your, you know, tenth year slash eleventh uh, event, and you know, you guys have kind of outgrown your 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 initial. 
uh, venue. Um, so, you know, things are, you know, it, it's a great conference. So talk to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, as the getting out of the, the venue, you know, that we originally had. So yeah, we started it way back in the day in 2010 at, uh, uh Microsoft, uh, offices here in Houston. Uh, they, and it was a free venue and we had about, I don't know, just over a hundred people. I think we talked out at about 120 people. Um, now we're over 700. So yeah, we did, we definitely had a lot of success and I'm, I feel really lucky to have that, uh, success. I got a lot of people around me that have, um, directly been involved in that to, to make it a success and have had passion for it. So I appreciate all those folks. But, um, the major reason I started it, it's, kind of a mixed story it's not terribly long but it, it we had a um conference down here that was kind of put together uh in a partnership between the local ISACA ISSA and, and I think InfraGuard was involved uh, different conferences called the uh, Texas Regional Infrastructure Security Conference um which was a long word and they just called it TRISC um and I got in I went to that one year and spoke at it it was my first uh, public speaking gig and then I got involved the next year in, uh, in planning and in putting it together and helped get sponsors for it. And I found out I was very uh, good at convincing sponsors to our vendors to sponsor events. So, um, but that event died after three or four years. And, um, and I started looking at the state of conferences around, which were mostly just, um, vendor cons. So it was, um, and job hunting type cons. So, uh, the people would put these things together. They do a road show around the country and they'd come in and they would just find vendors to come speak. And some of the talks were decent. Most of them were just absolute crap. And all we did was sell their stuff and it just aggravated me to no end. Um, I had been fortunate enough to be in a position as a security manager with a, um, um medical clinic that uh, they believed very heavily in maintaining certifications so because doctors needed to do that. Therefore, that kind of filtered down to to IT and stuff. Hey, I need to go to a conference. Uh, can I do this? And they were like, yeah, but then, that was fine. I could get the money to go. But I knew a lot of people in the industry who did not go to those conferences. So um, I think it was right before B-Side started or maybe the same year and then I had there was last con up in Austin and uh, it started the same year I started seeing success with these smaller conferences that were being held Schmoocon and all those um, and I was like look I, we just we need something quality here in Houston that's not going to be a vendor con we need to get real people coming to speak um, by that time it's part of the background, my background that we haven't talked about on here, but you know about is we both come from doing a lot of uh, blogging, podcasting and stuff. And I, you stayed that route. I used to do it a lot and I just didn't concentrate on it, but um, got to know a lot of people because of that and was able to get people to come in and speak. Um, so that it was just like, Hey, let's, let's see how it works. And, you know, after two or three years, if it, nobody's coming, then that's fine. Um, and, but it did, it, it worked. I had, to, um, at the time I was running a user, local user group of, uh, or, um, a, uh, what was the name of the group? It was National Information Security Group out of, off of the East Coast. And I was, uh, one of their chapters here and was the, from what I 
her the most successful chapter except for the the main one up in the East Coast. So um, we really hit it off with them and had kind of a following of 30 or so people every month. So um, it was decently easy. And also I had moved to um, a company called Activon at the time, which is now Optive. And uh, I knew I was pre-sales architect or engineer there. So I knew a lot of people, a lot of customers I could talk to and say, hey, why don't you come to the conference? Um, and so it, it just started working. Uh, we had 10 sponsors that first year. And now I think last year we had, uh, tw- 20, no, 30, 34 sponsors or something, or 23. I can't remember. It, it, it's like getting floating together, coming together. Yeah. But, um, this year we have well over 30 sponsors. Um, people, we have no problem signing up sponsors and, and that, and love the sponsors and thank, thank, uh, uh, thank them a lot for, because they're the primary reason that we can keep our ticket costs, you know, down around the 50 and $75 level, depending on the level, because, it, so we don't want that to be a barrier to entry and people come for that as well. Um, and we just, but the sponsors, we only have so many spots that the sponsors can talk. Um, which is key to us. We want to make sure that that's the, the minimum. And so all that being said, uh, just to say what we're doing this year is we're, um, last year was our first two-day conference. This year we're going to keep it to two days as well. I don't think we're going to anytime soon going to get any longer than that. Um, but we're expanding to five tracks. Uh, we're going to stay at, we're down at the Marriott Marquis downtown, which is a brand new hotel that was built for the Super Bowl like three years ago here. Um, beautiful place. Uh, and we're able to go in there, do that facility downtown. They have a lot of people come in to it. We're going to, like I said, expand into that five tracks. We're going to do hopefully some newer and cooler stuff and we're going to have a lot more space for people to come talk. Um, so, and our date. This year, I haven't announced it officially, but we just signed the contract for date. Our, our dates are May 6th and 7th of 2020. Um, and May 5th, we will have a, uh, some training classes. So last year, we kind of had a little bit of a, um, issue and we did the training classes on the actual first day of the conference. And we didn't have a great attendance on the training because people wanted to go to the conference. So next year we're going to have training on May 5th. Um, and we don't know what those classes are yet, but we're getting those figured out. And then May 6th and 7th, which is a Wednesday, Thursday, I believe, um, or maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, I can't remember. Um, anyways, that those two days will be the actual conference itself. Okay. So Very cool. That was a lot. Hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I think it's, I went last year, and then I, you know, I went this year and presented this year. Um, I think that it's a very good conference. I think it's very valuable for the local community. So, you know, um, you know, you know Wolf Gerlich, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, Wolf, I had Wolf on the, the podcast a, a few weeks ago, uh, and we talked about that because he had he had. You know, right now we're coming up on Black Hat, and so there's all these people on on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn or whatever who are, uh, you know, maybe new to cybersecurity and are like, you know, launching GoFundMe campaigns, and you know, and there's efforts yeah. for people to like, you know, chip in 
frequent flyer miles to help people get to Black Hat. And, and he had commented on Twitter something to the effect of, you know what, you, you don't need to do, to do that. You know, if you're if you're new to cybersecurity, you know, don't don't max out your credit cards and launch a GoFundMe just to get to Vegas for Black Hat. Start locally. You know, there are regional events. There's you know hundreds of B sides events. There's you know local user groups. Like find something local, and not only not only is it more affordable, but to some extent it's more valuable to you as when it comes to your actual like professional prospects. I mean, that's, you know, that you're networking with people in the area. Um, and, you know, so instead of flying to Vegas and spending, you know, $1,500, uh, you know, for a, for a conference pass or, you know, however much it costs you for the hotel and like all the expenses that go into, you know, going to Black Hat for four days. I mean, if you're local for, you know, whatever, 75 bucks, you can go to the Houston Security Conference and you get, you know, great sessions with great information and you get to network with people from the Houston area uh, who, you know, m- you know, might be mentors. They might be, you know, uh, employer prospects. So, and I think there's I think there's a lot more value. You're going to get a way more value out of your seventy five dollars for Houston Security Conference than you will from your $3,000 to go to Black Hat, in my opinion. And and I say that as someone who loves going to RSA and Black Hat, and I think there's tremendous value for me to go to Black Hat, um, but I'm at a different stage of my career and I'm going for a different reason. And, and, you know, so I think if you're, if you're new, by all means, start local. Yeah. I mean, it's self-serving, but I 100% agree. I mean, I, I like I'm I go to RSA every year, and but the primary reason that I go to RSA now, uh, well, it's been um, probably two primary reasons, if, if you can say two primary reasons. Um, the biggest reasons I've got one is is business because I do we do have a lot of customers that go there, um, so we have a lot of meetings, so I end, end up actually not going to the conference or any of the sessions because I'm constantly in meetings, which the older I get, all the, all my friends around me are the same way. And then, but the other reason is we have the you know, blogger slash pod, podcaster meetup on Wednesday that's been going on for years and years and years. And, you know, so I go to see friends, but used to at Black Hat and at RSA, I could just walk down the street. And, you know, you couldn't go five minutes without somebody saying, hey, what's up? You know, and you're talking to them and having a good time. And now they're all either in meetings or they're just not going to those things because it's not valuable to them anymore. So what you find out is you see guys that are going to all the local cons. Now, they may travel for local cons, too, um, which is funny because they like that. It to be more fatigue. At, 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 I think at, at, at where we are in terms of both our age and this and this stage in yeah. our careers, uh, it is much more common now. Like you know, five five years ago, everyone was like, "Hell yeah, see you at RSA." Now people are like, "Fuck, it's RSA again." You know, exactly. I do that. <laughs> and I don't and, want to walk. I know a lot of people who who. You who will say I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going, and then like a month before they're like, oh man, you know, some some you know vendor 
you know, a customer asked me to go or whatever. So yeah, I guess I'm going to be there and it's almost begrudging. But like you said, like, you know, I think for, for a lot of us, especially at RSA, when I go to RSA, the security bloggers meetup is the primary focus. <laughs> like, like everything else is, is, is secondary. You know, it's like, if I, if I get to that fine, you know, the, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other great networking and, and, and parties and, and, and there are good sessions and keynotes. And, and I mean, so, I mean, I, I get a lot of value out of it, but the main reason I go is the security bloggers meetup. And, yeah. and even when I go to black hat, I mean, I, 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 I try to get to more sessions now. Um, you know, especially like since, since I switched, you know, to the, you know, my journalism hat, you know, I'm on the press list. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm already, I've gotten, 20 emails today just today uh about black hat uh because they just came out they just came out with the press they they they, they sent the press list out to sponsors uh on like monday or whatever um so so yeah so i'm getting inundated with emails about you know, people like hey you know come meet with us and come meet with us and we want to tell you about this and and i used to do a lot more of that uh earlier in my you know blogging and journalism career because i thought that was what I was supposed to do. <laughs> and then after I did that for a year or two, I, I realized most of those vendors are not telling me anything that I can't get from their website or from their press release or from, you know, just send me the PowerPoint deck that we're going to talk about. Like, I don't need to like figure out how to get from point A to point B to sit down at the table with you for you to go through your PowerPoint presentation with me. That's not a valuable yeah. use of either of our time. And that's how they pay for it and everything else. So it ends up being that way. I mean, I remember the first time I went to the press room and just had, you know, this huge eyes looking around going, oh, here's all this stuff that I can get from them and all that. And that was back when the face-to-faces were more, probably more uh, useful. But yeah, now it's like anytime I get into something like that, it's just like, ah. Yeah. Well, so now when I go when I go to RSA and Black Hat, I do try to you know I, I try to get to some keynotes. I try to get to some sessions because I'd like to you know I, I'd like to learn a thing or two. But primarily, I'm there to visit with friends that I already know and to prospect for customers on you know from my freelancing side to prospect for you know to to engage with customers for you know, custom content and freelancing and sponsors for Techspective. And, you know, I'm there to have those conversations. And so, you know, it's a, it, it ends up being a business trip for me because, you know, those, those two conferences are where the conversations happen, you know, that end up paying my bills. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, but 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 you know, if you're if if you, but if you're starting your career and you don't know people and you're not in the in the market for trying to actually land, you know, talk to talk to cybersecurity companies about being, uh, you know, sponsors of your website or whatever. If that's not your if that's not your world, then by all means, sit out Black Hat and just go to the Houston Security Conference. Or even if you somehow get to Black Hat still go to the Houston security conference because that's where you're going to meet local people and make the local connections. And, you know, honestly, you know, it doesn't have to be local because I, you know, I, I've had, I've had it work from across the country too, but 
the 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 monster dot uh, coms and the dice dot coms and hot job or whatever the hell is out there nowadays. I mean, I hate <laughs> I hate those sites. Like you go on there, you find some stuff, you you end up filling out the same information twenty five times, and find out that all of it goes to uh, recruiters. It's not actually going to the company anyway. And then you've got people calling you for positions that have nothing to do with your background. And, and it's a, it's such a, a, a waste of time. And, but you sort of have to do it. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're unemployed and you're in the market for a job, it's like, well, you got to do all the things. And you, so you have to do that anyway. But ultimately the way that I have found like the last, you know, four different, you know, four or five things is just from the connections that I've made over the years. You know, it's just, it's just knowing people and having them go, Hey, Tony, I know you, aren't you looking for a gig? We have a gig, you know, that, that's the way I find jobs. Right there. That's how I got alert logic. That's how I got, um, files at Fortify. That's how I got this gig. I've got only got one gig that I've ever gotten off of monster.com. And it was because the previous, gig that I had that I had gotten from a friend had trained me specifically on Interis networking and there was very few people that actually knew it to any degree so I was looking for a gig but while I was doing that I was using contacts to get contracting gigs so it didn't it still was uh, keeping me afloat so yeah 100% agree and of course you know Tony but everybody's uh, listening to this who is going well wait a minute didn't you just Say that you and Tony reconnected because you were both going to RSA. So I think that's kind of funny, but I, <laughs> I think the point. Well, that's that, that's true. I mean, I think we, we originally met at the security bloggers meetup. Yeah, yeah, we did. I don't even know that I knew you lived in Houston at that time. Yeah. So I don't remember anything, then, but yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, you know, we will, uh, I guess, wrap things up there. But uh, I want to, I want to. Thank you for joining me. Uh, uh, I think it was a, a great conversation. Um, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, ICS security is is you know, definitely something that's uh, that's that's important and has become a growing uh, focus, as, you know, for the for the companies that that uh, need that. And uh, but but most of all, I think you know, for anyone who's listening especially in the Houston area who has not gone to the Houston security conference, uh, you know, mark your calendars, uh, you know, visit the website and, uh, you know, make, make, make sure you get there. Um, so as, as we wrap up, you know, Michael, I don't know if you want to you know, tell everyone what the Houston security conference, you are, you know, website is, uh, or how, how, how can they reach you or, you know, whatever. Yeah, so if you go to the website now, you're still going to see last year's. We, we haven't rebuilt the new one. We don't have like an interim one that kind of goes in place before. So it's something we need to do probably. Um, but we should be building that now that we've got dates, uh, the interim one here in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, but it's just HoustonSecCon.com. So Houston Security Conference, but HoustonSecCon.com. Um, r.org, but if you go to .com, it'll, it'll redirect you. Um, again, May 6th and 7th, um, and tickets will probably go on sale in the October timeframe. Uh, so just be on the lookout for that. We've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got LinkedIn. So anywhere you want to hit us, if you want to get on the mailing list, 
um, to, to get through our MailChimp uh, service that we use, just send me uh, an email at founders at houstonsetcon.com and I can get you uh, get you on that list as well. Very good. All right. Well, take care and thank you very much. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the time. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if it sucks. And uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.